And finally he looks over at me and he goes, uh, you know, Trevor, I, uh, I suck at golf too, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I don't like to play, you know, that it opened my eyes to, to a lot of things. It's like, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you, you, you don't have to be, you got, you just have to enjoy what you're doing. You know, I suck at golf, but every now and then I, I put a really good shot in. That was Trevor Kovich describing why you don't have to be an expert spaycaster to find success with steelhead fishing. For some reason, I never get tired of a good steelhead chat. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show today. Trevor Kovich, one of the best-known steelhead guides on the OP, is here to share some tips on finding fish during high water. This is one of the uh, one of the best shows we've had and one of the first ones on the OP, so this is going to be good to dig into it today. We find out how to tell if a steelhead is ready to bite by how it rolls in the water, what diamond chop is all about, and the best place uh, to find fish that most people are skipping. This one is definitely jam-packed with some value bombs, so please share it with one other person today. And uh, without further ado, here's Trevor Kovich. How's it going, Trevor? Everything's good here. Just uh, just waking up uh, with some coffee in Washington. That's right. That's right. Where are you at? Where are you at in Washington? Well, I'm based out of Forks, which is generally where I run my my winter steelhead business. And then usually at this time, I'm I'm up in Alaska. And of course, through the the virus and everything that's gone on this year, uh, a lot of seasons have been canceled all over Alaska. So, so I'm kind of sitting this one out. It's the first time in in 17 seasons I've never I've never gone up. So, it's a yeah. <clears throat> huge change. It's a huge change to to put it lightly. Wow. And, and is the reason uh, that you're not going up there just some lodges chose to close down and some lodges are staying open? Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, like I work. Uh, you know, I work for a couple different lodges, but the first one is ran by a native corporation and they, uh, um, they really are, um, they stand, they tend to be really cautious on these things, you know, and then also we have a lot of clientele that's, that's generally older. The majority of our clientele is older. So, um, just, to just to play it safe, they, they bowed out, you know, of the Chinook season and then, uh, the mid season also bowed out as well because uh, there you work next to a native village uh, in Quinnahawk, and then you know, and then the the village itself, the elders didn't want a lot of outside folks coming in, which which is understandable. Oh, yeah. So they 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 made sure there was no operations running. There you so, go. There you go. Yeah, that's that's probably the probably the smart move given given where we're at. Things are kind of spiking a little bit again. We're in. <laughs> It's going up, especially and up there. You know what I mean. It was uh, it was starting to creep down uh, to where I thought that uh, that things were gonna that things were gonna go, and then all of a sudden, said just it kind of switched, and then they pulled the plug on it. Dang, dang. Okay, well, well, we'll probably dig into a little bit of that as we go. I wanted to, um, you know, we'll probably talk about, uh, I guess, the OP, and I mean, you kind of split it between the OP and the um, and Alaska. Is that pretty much how you do it? That's pretty much that's what I do now. You know, I. Uh, I used to travel around a lot when I was younger and I, uh, um, I, uh, 
I missed, uh, I missed being in the Northwest, you know, and I missed seeing my, my family, you know, if you're, if you're always traveling, you're never, you're never seeing your folks. And then they, they, every time you see them, when you get off a plane, they're physically older. So I, uh, I eventually quit going around to a bunch of places and I started, uh, my guide business out in Forks, which is a place that I've, I've been steelhead fishing for a while. Like I was a steelhead bum out here for, for like seven, probably seven years, you know, when I was a, when I was a teenager and then, uh, and loved it. And so I just do that pretty much like November is kind of an off month for me, but like I start guiding in December down here and then it goes all the way through April. So it's, uh, it's a wet, it's a cold, wet disease. It's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I was just talking to somebody yesterday on a call. I was doing a little coaching call with somebody. I've got another podcast that I do and, uh, and he's in North Carolina and he is fishing. He's a guide out there for, you know, fish in North Carolina, but he's got a friend that just moved out from Portland and he was talking about steelhead and he's, he's got the steelhead bug now. So he's, he's, mm-hmm. just, he's, he's jacked up and especially now that we're getting into a little summer steelhead action, that's good. But, um, well, we're going to take it out. Let, let's, let's take it, take us back a little bit. So we're going to get into the spay and, and, and kind of all the micro and <laughs> everything around spay. But, um, how'd you get into fly fishing? Start us off there. Well, I was, uh, my father and my uncles were, were, outdoorsman um my dad was more of a a uh a gear guy loved the salt water my uncle uh john kovich he uh he runs the cuba side of fly water travel he's the guy who really put a fly rod in my hand and he uh um he would take my brother and i fishing for like a week a week or two every summer uh, to some place. And then I remember, I think I was six years old when, uh, when I finally put a, when I finally started actually casting a fly rod, my dad, uh, my dad would put me on his flow tube in a lake and, you know, he'd, he'd fish around and then when he'd hook up fish, he'd let me reel it in or, or he'd troll me around or whatever. And it wasn't, uh, wasn't until I met or not met, but when John started taking my brother and I, we really started kind of hiking around and, learning how to properly cast and present flies and stock, uh, fish and, and tie flies, you know, like, like John, John was the guy who, uh, he bought me these, these two Randall Kaufman fly tying books. One was a a nymph book. One was a, was a dry fly book. And so I just, those were my, I mean, that was my instruction there. You know, and then I also did some through the, there was a local fly shop that I, where I grew up in Issaquah, Washington. It was called Creekside Angling. Um, and the owners, Pete Corbett and Hugh Pastoriza, they were, they would hold these fly tying classes. Uh, and it'd be me and like three or four other kids in there uh, in the evening. And we'd tie woolly buggers and Mickey fins and, and pretty much whatever else. But it was just the basics pretty much that's cool and then it kind of just went on from there you know that's really cool so yeah you've got kind of a family i mean and, and john your uncle is still see over at uh still at flywater yeah he's still at flywater you know and then he's repping a you know a, co- a couple other things as well but what he what he really loves to do is uh, is take people down to cuba and then you know his photography and his drone stuff's really good oh, cool um and then of course he's got two sons uh, that her, you know, kind of one just graduated, one's about to, and then uh, 
his son uh, just got a job up up north this year in one of the places that are still operating oh, and gotcha. he's, he's he's kicking ass so he's just loving it there you go you guys it sounds like you guys got a little a little kovich uh, fly fishing dynasty going on mm, it's <laughs> uh well no it's just it's just i don't know if it's in our dna but yeah. but it, it it drives us forward it's really it's just a fun it's a fun way of life yeah you know yeah it's not easy but it is but it is fun <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's cool that's cool okay so yeah, I guess starting out, you know, well, let's just take it back. So, so you're kind of, you know, you sounds like you've been in fly fishing, you know, a good chunk of your life. I mean, now you're the kind of OP Alaska. How did, um, you know, I mean, that's, is it, did you grow up out there up, up on, in Forks? So my father bought into this small piece of property out in a place called CQ, Washington, which is right on the Strait of Juan de Fuca. And, and it was right on the CQ river and he went in on a piece of property with three of his buddies from Boeing. They were all Bo- Boeing mechanics hmm. and, uh, they were all saltwater guys. And so we'd go out fishing, you know, we'd, we'd go out five in the morning, go fishing out in the saltwater and then come back and we'd be, we'd be limited out by, you know, nine or 10. Well, then we had the whole rest of the day to do stuff. Hmm. Well, the, the CQ river was right there, you know? And so my brother and I would, uh, blow up our float tubes at the time and then we'd go paddle around out here and it's like a it's like a tidal slough oh, wow. and then we'd go fish uh sea run cutthroat and mm-hmm. then every now and then there was a silver and i remember one time my brother uh he was skating a uh it was a stimulator and i think wow. i can't remember how old we were but uh and then a summer steelhead actually grabbed a stimulator and this nice. one we were just little kids and we, we still we had no idea what it was we just figured it was a salmon <laughs> um and then uh and so that was kind of a, a summer thing, you know, and yeah. then, uh, one time, uh, we had to go do some work out there and it was in, uh, it was in December and I went and, uh, um, you know, went up looking up the road and stuff like that, kind of just looking for cutthroat trout. And I was with my cousin and, uh, and I had a, uh, I just had a trout rod and I just remember throwing out there and and next thing i knew i had something something really big on and it was it was just it was working me you know what i mean yep. I, and uh took me under a log jam came back out went back in the log jam and and finally uh finally screwed it up on the on the the sand and it was a uh it was probably a 12 13 pound uh wild steelhead wow it was a hen it was just Huh. And I was sitting there, I was sitting there going, and I think I was, uh, I think I was 12 or 13 at this time. And, uh, and that was the moment I, I kind of knew that I wasn't going to be doing any more snowboarding, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and so, and so that was kind of the, you know, that was, that was the spark. And so when I got my driver's license, um, I would try and find any way possible to go out there. So me and a couple buddies would, uh, every now and then we ditch school, you know, on Friday and then head over for a long weekend. Um, you know, and then, uh, and then we just, we'd fish for steelhead and it was awesome. I mean, it was really good. And the, and, you know, kind of the, the common trend now, uh, that river, you know, which was really awesome. Of course, it's not so awesome anymore. It's the point where, uh, it's, it's, I want to go fish it, but I, I'm, I don't fish it anymore, you know, just because it's not, it's not even close to what it used to be. And, um, 
and where my where my deck situated is right in front of like there's there's probably three nets that'll be right out front so it's just like and so now it's more of a, a vacation spot you know um i've been taking my girlfriend and and one of her friends out there and we've just been trout fishing lately but my main my main thing now is uh so i bought a house in forks mm. and so i operate right here and I've got rivers of stones throw away from me. So yep. it's really easy for me to go, go take guys to wherever I want. And then I've got, um, a downstairs where I keep my clients oh, cool. for the most part. So they can just roll in. I don't got to go pick them up at a hotel. So it makes it really seamless. Awesome. What's the, uh, how, how was the, the winter steelhead season there this year on the OP? Oh, it was good. You know, yeah. every, every year is different. And then everybody's going to have their own, their own outlook on what they would feel good is, you know, the winter steelhead thing, and especially the winter steelhead thing out here, especially if you're swinging a fly is, is extremely tough. You know, just Mm -hmm. the, the fish move in weird ways out here. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't sit still for long. And then you have, uh, you have the constant changing of weather and, and water conditions. Like uh, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just give you this, this season's example of mm-hmm. weather. So I lost the majority of January out here because of big water, you know, constantly blown out the, I mean, there were pictures of the, the Quilly like, and the, the Bogashill overflowed and that whole lower end of the road down there was totally swamped with water, you know? And then of course the power goes out and then uh, February comes along. February is a great month. Um, so you get some mixed rain, good water conditions. And then March came along and March was, was like it does. Sometimes there's barely any rain, you know what I mean? And so what it does is it stuffs fish up in certain places. And so, um, and so depending on the time of year and then the water flow, it depends on kind of where I'm going to be, um, with my clients, you know? And so, and the rivers change. Yeah. So. And that's the cool thing about the OP is that there's a number of different rivers and depending on the the condition and, and how things are going, you can adjust uh, accordingly, right? That's the... Exactly. I, do you find guys, what percentage of guys up there do you find um, just for fly fishing that are nymph, uh, nymph fishing versus, um, you know, versus swinging? Well, it, it used to be, it used to be really one-sided. You know, there was you know, there wasn't many swing guys. There were some, some swing guys out here, but not really swing guides, you know? And then, uh, but the majority were, were, you got, you got your gear guys and then you got, uh, nymphers that would solely nymph and then they would, and some guys would do some swing. Uh, and then it wasn't until like when, when Jerry French started putting in a full campaign out here and, and started to be really successful, you know, and sent then also still, you know, taking his beatings like, like most steelheaders do, mm-hmm. you know, but like Jerry was the guy who opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. Like I thought I was a pretty good steelhead fisherman when I met Jerry and then Jerry French was the guy who got me thinking about things a little, a little differently. And then also, especially with the, the, the fly time too, you know, he's just, He's, he's, he's the master when it comes to that kind of stuff, but he really got me thinking about, about where they're sitting, how long they're sitting, um, you know, stuff like that. But I I would say that in the last three to four years, the swing, the swinging contingent 
has gone up tenfold. Oh, okay. Wow. Like now there's like, it used to be me and Jerry and then, uh, you know, one or two other guys. And now there's, there's a whole bunch of new, you know, swing guides out here. There are. Um, and so, and so the, so the, the pressure kind of that, you know, it just gets, it just gets more and more pressure. And so I have to start doing things that are a little more crafty, you know, just to try and kind of get away from people sometimes. But every now and then you end up on a stretch of river and you're all by yourself because everybody decided to go to the same boat launch on a certain river and the, some other place is left totally empty. It's really cool. So there were a few guides uh, back in the day and now there's more. I mean, do you know uh, all these guys pretty much? Do you talk to all these guys? You know, kind of know yeah, personally? no, I, I, I try. I, I try and have a really good. Uh, report with people just in case uh a you gotta you gotta get along with people that you yeah. work around or else it's not going to be fun for anybody b if you get in trouble and you need help or vice versa like yeah uh it's good to have friends and so no i i try and talk to everybody and of course i have a, a main core group of buddies out here that that you know, swing flies that I, I share, I would share information with and a couple of gear guys that are, they're good friends of mine, but you know, we stay pretty, pretty zipper lipped when it comes to, uh, to, to sharing that kind of stuff or else, or else oh, yeah. somebody will be there the next day. So that's right. That's, that's good. I had, I'll put, a link, <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes. I had Jerry French on recently and I've pretty much, I've had a number of, uh, kind of the big names in the, the spay game on, um, you know, and, and your, your name that's been popping around there, I just, you know, finally got uh, getting you on here to talk about this. So, so that's, that's great. I can't remember who I connected with recently that mentioned, mentioned your name, but, um, you know, there's all sorts of ways to do it, right? You got the long, long, long bill. I just had uh, Bruce Cruck on who was talking all about the, mm-hmm. the long belly lines, right? He's, he's the, is he the guy who's in the upper Columbia? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I look at his stuff on. Uh, yep. I think it's either Facebook or Instagram. That water looks awesome. Exactly. I got to fish it one day. Yeah, I, I know he's a he's a big, and we talked a little about the clear water and all that stuff. But I think all those guys. I mean, the OP is such a amazing place. I think everybody, it's it's on their list, right? Each year they're probably heading down that way. So it sounds like, in, mm-hmm. as it gets busier, you know, what are the tips for you know? I mean, for somebody who's out there trying to find more of a a remote experience, any any tips there? Well, if you're, if you're willing to get out and, and, and hike around, um, if you're really, if you're trying to get away from people, I mean, you might want to stick to maybe, you know, there's some, there's some smaller streams out here you could go look at. But the thing is, is like, um, you gotta be, if you want to get away from people, you got to fish in the conditions that are not favorable. That's the one, that's the, that's the one thing that, that separates the, the good anglers and the good guides from the, from the weekenders. Okay. Yeah. Meaning, meaning, um, some of my best days here and some of the days where I catch my biggest fish here are when the water is extremely high hmm. because what it does when the water's really high, um, well, well two things has happened, have happened, right? So if the water is high and fishable, chances are a couple of days before it was pretty muddy. Okay meaning nobody's fishing there's no nets and because all the logs get stuffed up in the nets right and mm-hmm. so nobody's fishing so once it gets back into shape fish are generally going to be sitting in places um because they've come in and they haven't been messed with at all um the big fish thing um what happens so if a river's low 
fish, those big fish have to be in certain lies, right, to feel safe. When the water is high, it's a it's an open freeway, and what it does is it sucks those fish uh, really close to the bank. And and some of the biggest fish I've ever taken out here with clients have been have been within uh, five to ten feet of the bank when the water is giant. Meaning like, and when the water's giant, you, you've got a, you've got a swing run that is, let's say it's, it's usually, uh, let's say it's uh, 35 to 40 yards. Well, now it's 10 to 15 yards because if you go down too far, you're going to, you're going to start floating, you know? So it's that, that's, that's why this, this whole season down here is what I call my Super Bowl because it's, uh, it's the hardest, it's the hardest guiding I do all year, just having to um doing the mental gymnastics around the the conditions and knowing where i should be at what time of year and then what spots are going to be swinging at this flow versus that flow okay and then and then you've got guys who who you know who are fishing around you and then you you know what spots those guys like and so like if, if i'm on a for example if i'm on a on a run of water with my buddy grace Struznik. Like I'm going to be talking to him and, and asking where he's going to be going versus where I'm going to be going. That way we can line our, our days out and then not be stepping on each other's toes. Yep. And then that way both of all of our clients get a good shot and fish. So that's great. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a good tip there. So basically fishing the inside water, what, what lines would you be using if the water is really high you know, and you're talking about, so the water blows out, it's muddy, and then it's just coming. As soon as it comes down, it is getting that, the mud's gone, but it's still, you can only see maybe a foot. That's the, what you're talking about, but it's still raging. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm. it's still raging, so you can't, you like, and a lot of people will be like, will tell you that you got to go super light, um, which in some spots you absolutely should. But the problem is sometimes when the water's, when the water's up, it's also got some more flow going to it. Okay. And so you kind of got to hold it in there. And so sometimes I'm using, I'm still using, you know, 10 to 12 feet of T14. Other times I'm using five and five. It's, it's, it all changes, uh, with the spots. Okay. And then when the water's up like that and, and slightly offset, I mean, I'm using a foot a liter. We're not, we're not going, <laughs> we're not doing four foot liters. I rarely go, I rarely go above four feet. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a 20 or nothing guy. Meaning if it's not 20 pound test, I don't want it on your sink tip at all. Not even close because uh, for a few reasons. First reason is like um, some of my clients are, are, are super novice casters, right? Okay. So they're, it's flying out. They're funny. And then sometimes there's going to be, there's going to be some knots that show up some that I'm, that I didn't see, you know, or else I would have to check it like every other cast or, or, or keep changing their leader and, and fish will bust a fish will bust 15 pound with a wind knot. <laughs> but, but what I, what, and so what I tell people or what I show them in the boat is I'll take 15 pound test and I'll take 20 pound test and I'll tie a wind knot in it and I'll try and I'll go break this one and then try and break that one. So, <laughs> you prepare for the fish that you want to catch versus the fish you're probably going to catch because the really big fish that are out here, they just show up and you've got to, and you've just got to be ready because your next cast could be the biggest fish of your life. And then your fishing guides life out mm-hmm. here, you know, you just never know when it's going to happen. That's it. That's so, it. so we're prepared. What? So if you're fishing that, say again, you're at the high water, you're fishing a, 
a T14, something pretty heavy. What, what, and what line are you using? Are you, are you kind of doing all the OPST stuff? Well, I used to do a lot of that stuff. I've been, I've been gravitating and trying out some, some SA lines. Um, but it's been, it's, it's pretty early in the stages of that. I still, I still like the, the OPST lines. It's, it's, yeah, you know, it's what I really started on as far as the, 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 the shorter lines, you know, before that it was a, it was a Skagit flight. Um, but the, the commando head is what, what opened up a lot of different things for me, especially on the, uh, the single hand side, you oh, know, yeah. too. Are you, and are you, what can you, maybe you can just walk us through again, uh, just for an example, let's just think of that high water. You're on the OP and you know, you're fishing one of those higher, you know, the, the river's way up, but what rod are you using weight? And can you just talk about that just generally. So, so for the most part on the, anywhere on the peninsula, I use a, I use a, uh, a 12 foot nine weight. That's, that's the thing I, I used to use a 12 and a half, but as, as I've, as I fish more and as I get older, I start going gravitating towards shorter rods. It's gotten shorter and shorter and shorter since I started, uh, spay casting. So I'm going to use a 12 foot nine weight just in case. Because, like, for example, when the water's high, and let's say you're on the Solduck River, well, the Solduck River doesn't have these broad, uh, these broad gravel bars. Okay, so you're going over big rocks, you got logs coming out, and then you've got, uh, you know, a bunch of grass and trees. And so I want to be able to put my anchor way out there, and I want to be able to make a, 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 a fishable cast with, with minimal effort. Okay. And then also with the, with the water being up, being up and then being kind of offset. Now I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a monstrosity. I'm going to throw a monstrosity of a fly, uh, just because I want them to see it. And then I want, I want you to, my clients to be able to hold their, their flying long enough to where they can get a good look at it. And then sometimes that means also holding it down below you for, for a few seconds because there's, there's plenty of current and said some of these fish will be right next to the bank. Um, but it's all, it's all 12 foot. It's all 12 footers for me, but most of my clients will bring out 13, 13, two, you know, or is the yeah. general. Yeah. That's, that's the typical. Yeah. So the advantage of the 12 foot versus the 13, uh, what, what is the advantage there? If you're fit in that situation? Well, you're not going to be chopping wood as much. That's that. That's the main thing. Okay, you got all these low hanging tree branches. I mean, you, every time you every time you smack your rod on it, um, you know it, it takes the life of your rod down a notch. You know, and then you and then you're always wondering in the back of your mind when the what what cast is it going to be or is it going to be when you go set on that fish that you really want to get in and now you've got half a rod. But uh, but no, it's mainly just being able to to put your anchor where you want to okay with with a with a shorter rod i can and, the, and a shorter line i can i can place my anchor exactly where i want to i can poke way out and if i didn't when when i poke out if it didn't get out as far as i want it to i'll just come i'll just come around again and poke out further and then i'll just do a roll cast when i'm when i'm really when everything's really tight um but mainly it's just doing uh it's just mainly doing nice fishable cast that's the next thing uh fishable cast not not casting as far as you can every single time like it's silly to me it, it actually drives me nuts and it drives a lot of people nuts out here especially if you're if you're guiding um uh, everybody wants to cast a long line i mean it's it's fun it's it looks super cool 
but if you really want to catch fish, you, you, you're going to make a good presentation and you're going to, you're going to search as many spots as you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hear you. We, we had that conversation with uh, Bruce Cruck. He, he was talking about fishing his water, which actually it is an advantage of casting way out there because there's some of those Absolutely. fish are further out and, and he, and he's also a spay. He, he's at the spay rama and that's a whole uh, mm-hmm. different thing. You know, those guys are just, uh, you know, they just love it's casting. a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, here, uh, and I'm sure it's a, it's a, uh, it's advantage up here, but what people don't factor in here is the traveling lane. Okay. Yeah. That the traveling lane is, uh, is, just as important as the, as the holding water. And sometimes said they're right, they're right at your feet. That's where they're moving. Yep. Right in next to the, basically right in next to the bank a lot, kind of within that off your rod tip. Yeah. Right off, right off your rod tip. And then the, the, and then the, the traveling lane changes. That's the next thing. As the river rises and falls, you got to be able to, to rise and fall with it. Okay. Meaning the traveling lane is going to be here at this CFS at 35, 100 CFS and it's going to be over here at 1250. Okay. So if you don't, if, if you're not on top of that, you're going to be, you're going to be out of it. And how are you learning, you know, again, you you obviously are up there every day and stuff, but if, if somebody's new their first time, the OP, they're heading up to whatever river and, and it's one of these rivers that's changing quite a bit, you know, how are they, you know, and how do you do it? Right. The river changes. How do you find that new, that new lane? Oh, it's time, time on the water. Yeah. It's all time on the water and it's, and it's going out when you don't, you, you don't feel confident going out. Like I said, when the water's, when the water's messed up, um, every day you, you push your boat in or you go fishing, it should be a, it should be a learning experience. Okay. So you like, I'll, I'll be, when not, when I'm guiding, for example, I'm not just watching my clients, I'm watching other parts of the river below me. Right. I have, and I've got binoculars as well. But I'm looking for rolling fish in certain places that I've seen them roll before, you know, and then uh, like, for example, you know, out here, there's there's a slower roll and there's a faster roll. Okay, the faster rolls are the fish that are that are really moving and they're pushing other other rolls are where fish are kind of like stuck in a spot and they're just kind of holding. And then uh, and generally rollers are eaters. Okay, because the the first thing about you know steelhead fishing is knowing that they're there you can fish all the best water in the world and if your timing's not right and there's no fish there you're not going to catch anything and that's the thing that discourages a lot of people out here is they get to a great piece of water they fish it they catch nothing they go back the next day they fish it again maybe a little differently catch nothing and so they go you know what there's nothing here well on the third day when they should have gone back there's probably a fish there Mm -hmm. you know and that's and that's why I say time on the water, time on the water. So is that the tip? So basically instead of, instead of going out and fishing, you know, six different pieces of water, maybe if you had a three or four day trip, just stay on that one section, maybe that few mile section. You should find a, a couple really good spots that you like and stick to them. Um, and then if you stick to them, it's, it, it's like a, you know, it's like a slot machine. You pull it enough. Okay. It's going to, it's going to hit. Uh, but, but it really is time on the water and, and, the reason that I've had the success that I've had out here is because of all the days that I've spent catching nothing and learning and being soaked, miserable, you know, putting gas in my truck, hiking through brush, you know, tearing my waders and then, uh, in, in unfavorable conditions. And, and, uh, and the guys that are really successful out here, are the guys that, that put in their time, 
Um, there, there's definitely some luck involved as well, like, like, like most fishing, but, but the guys that, uh, that do well out here, are the guys that put their time in and they, and they've, and they've struggled everybody out here. If you've ever swung a fly has struggled. Um, there are guys that I know that are, that, that think they're really awesome, great fishermen and they come out here and they just, they get whooped. Um, it's not, it's not a favorable place, but if you put your time in and you, and you learn, like you're going to see some pretty cool stuff and not to mention, you just look around you. It's a, it's a visual masterpiece. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it really is. It's amazing, it's amazing area because maybe paint that picture. Well, let's get into that, the, the visual masterpiece in a second, but I want to take it back to the per, uh, Perry poke, right? You were ta- talking about the mm-hmm. poke. Can you describe yeah. uh, the Perry, if, if Perry was a per, you know, who Perry was <laughs> and, and talk about and describe the Perry poke for somebody who's never seen that cast and why you do it? Well, I guess the Perry poke apparently was, was made up, uh, from guys that like, you know, blew their anchor set, you know what I mean? And so they would just dump it down. So a lot of times when, uh, for example, if you're trying to set your anchor below you and let's say you come up a little too strong and your, and your fly goes whizzing by you upstream, well, then you can just take your rod and then, and then poke it straight down in front of you and then come out and around and then do do your cast you can do it off any side um you know and then you can you can sit there and poke your rod like three times to get all your line just lined up right in front of you and then just do that out and around and over the top and through and it's and the thing is it's uh it's it's a it's extremely powerful cast like i said and then it's also a cast that doesn't you know if you keep your hands tight it's you don't have to do a lot of uh ranging movements you know what i mean you can keep everything really tight to your body and then the the line will stick to the water um which is going to create a lot of a lot of load in your rod and a lot of bend yeah that's right that that's the thing when i think of it i think i guess i'm painting that picture again where i'm thinking of this high water situation i'm i'm plowing through the brush and down the steep cliff and i drop in and i'm you know on river left right river's going from mm-hmm. right right yeah. to left and i'm a i'm kind of top hand up and you know i'm setting this thing up so i do say a, a snap tee or something and i and i do the do the poke and get it uh-huh. out there and then i bring it back and when you bring it back basically like you're saying all this line there's a lot of line on the water that you're pulling back and that's that's exactly that's a good thing right yes absolutely because that like for example like a big reason for like skagit lines okay skagit lines are thick okay it's to create it's to you so you got a lot of surface area Okay. And so that's, that's a, uh, a lot of area for that water to grip your line, which is, which is, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a bow hunter, okay, you're, you're loading up that bow to make your kill shot pretty much. Mm-hmm. So it's loading and loading everything. Um, and you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to be, uh, sweeping fast with your rod, you know, as long as you're constant, if, even if you're slow, the water's gripping, gripping that line really nice. Okay. And then, your release point is the same release point uh, uh, an NFL quarterback is going to have when he's trying to hit a receiver um, way down the field. Okay, it's everything's in control until that last that last little bit, and it's the last extension um, is where I put all my maximum effort. And then you can you can also breathe out while you're doing it, mm-hmm. um, and it'll and it'll just kind of you know it'll give you that little extra extra juice. But yeah, you can punch out there. But the main thing is, is, is starting short, like, like all steelheading. Okay. Fish your feet 
And then it doesn't like your casting does not, there, there's no ceremony out here. Okay. It's, uh, can you make a fishable cast? Like, I don't care. I really don't care what it looks like. Okay. You could t- do some weird crap and throw it out there. And as long as it's where it needs to be and you're mending when you have to, and you're holding it in and then you're being patient, being patient by if, uh, when, when the time comes, like all the, every eat from a steel head is going to be different and you need to react accordingly, you know, and it's really, it's really tough to keep, to, to keep calm when, when a fish is chewing on you. So, so what, so what you're saying is, you know, you don't have to be fishing out there in this situation, a perfect, you know, turning that fly over just perfectly. I mean, you could, you could pile one up and do it. Man, I, I asked this question occasionally because I know that, you know, with like summer steelhead, you probably, if you're, if you're turning the fly over better and getting a beautiful mm-hmm. cast, you probably are going totally to be different game. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. And then, like I said, these are, um, that, yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother realm, um, from what the winter thing is. The winter is generally said it's, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a rock star caster. You, uh, it helps to be a rock star waiter. Yeah. Um, you know, in certain places, especially where you're at, uh, out here, yeah. um, or else you're going to be really, really wet. Um, but if you can make a manageable cast, you're going to have a shot, at some fish. That's cool. That's cool. See, that's, you know. that's kind of my dilemma. My dilemma is that I, I'm actually kind of a rock star waiter. Uh, I'm not a great caster, but I love summer steelhead and I love winter, but if I had to pick one, I would rather mm-hmm. be, I'd rather be in 90 degree weather swinging for summers. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know no, what I mean? They're... So I think I need to change it. I need to either get better at casting or fish for winters more. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. And then it's said, it's just. Uh, you know, I, I, I know a lot of different steelhead guys and they, uh, and it's crazy, you know, depending on, you know, where you grew up or where you started fishing kind of, uh, you like, you know, uh, one of my buddies, uh, his name's Nick Rowell. He guides in the shoots, oh, cool. uh, guy loves that place. And I've fished the shoots a bunch and it's, it's a super, super magical place, um, that everybody should fish. Yep. Uh, but if I had, if I, if yeah. I died and went to heaven, I'd be on a, I'd be on a steelhead river out here somewhere or in BC, you know, I really would. That's it. I know. It's so cool. I, I love it because everybody's, everybody's got their, their thing. So, um, well, and also you don't have to deal with rattlesnakes and ticks out here. Good point. That is, <laughs> so, that is, those are the, yeah, that's the thing in, in Oregon or in the Northwest. That's the thing. Go down to the South, go down to the Southeast or anywhere in the world. And there's things yeah. that, that can kill you, but in Ori or in, in the Northwest rattlesnakes are pretty much the only animal that can kill you. Yeah. And then, you know, you'll have a, you'll have a random black widow every oh, now and then. But for example, if uh, like on the Deschutes, those rattlesnakes will buzz you from, you know, 10 feet, 10 yards away. Like you go to the grand Ronde. the grand Ronde, I've always found to be a little different. I've never had a rattlesnake. Let me know that they were there. You know what I mean? I almost sat on one, one year I was, I was hiking up a, a ridge. I, I was setting up a camp, uh, for some steel headers and I hiked up on a ridge and I sat down and I looked right to the right of me and there was a rattlesnake going right by me. He didn't even care, you know? Oh, so I would rather, I'd rather know. <laughs> So. I, I've had it too. Well, I, on the Deschutes, I've had rattlesnakes laying there in the next to the river on my thermarest. You know, I've had a rattlesnake go across my bedroll. You know, and that's that's oh a, yeah, that's a little <laughs> sketchy. But uh, no, this is good. I, I love the rattlesnake tails and all that stuff. But uh, hey, I wanted to take us back again. To, so line. So somebody's going. You know, they want a line like we're talking about a, a line for maybe these higher events that come up, like we're fishing. What what is if they want to just go buy one right now? What is the OPST line they they could get? 
Well, they could just go with it. You know, they could just go with the commando just head. The commando head. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got some newer stuff out, but so I don't, I don't work for those guys anymore. Gotcha. And then like, I've had a couple guys bring some of the newer stuff up and I think it's, and it's more of an intermediate, which I'm not, I'm not a fan of. I'm a fan of it in, in, in certain situations, mainly like for Chinook or, or certain faster water, but really I want, I just want a regular Skagit line. Okay. Because you know, it's, you're going to be, at, you're going to be at a depth that I, that I know. Okay. And then also, um, I would rather have a guy off the bottom than directly on it. I mean, most of those guys there, when they bring their intermediates out here, they're snagging up, uh, where the fish, where the fish should be. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the, the, like the one is uh, the fist, right. Is I think airflow that, that is, mm-hmm. that, is that kind of a, yeah, a the fist is cool. No, they, uh, so like, uh, and that's a, that's a Sylvie line, oh, I believe. Sylvie. Um, and, and I remember I, I, I remember I cast one in a spayclave and then I, and I sent a message afterward because it was an absolute rocket. Um, and, and talk about a line that sticks to the water and, mm-hmm. and I mean, you can, you can feel like a, a, a rock star, not only casting, but, uh, but holding your line, uh, where it needs to be like, uh, where I really like that line is, is for Chinook. Okay. Because oh, wow. it digs, especially in the sun, especially in those deep tanks where, where those Chinook really like to be. Um, and they, you know, Chinook like fast and, and slow presentations depending on where they're at and, and, uh, and how aggressive they are. But the, uh, but I definitely use the intermediates more up North doing the Chinook thing than I do gotcha. down here. Gotcha. Yeah. You, you, you just want more control and how do you, so if you need to get it down, are you mostly doing that depending on where you're casting? Or are you putting heavier flies on? Well, I, I do, I do, I do both. Okay. So I'll set up differently. Um, I might take, I might do a couple men's in a, in a step. I'll definitely put like a tungsten head on. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it, it, it all depends on the spot. Every, every spot's different. And then there's like, and every one of these spots out here, um, not everyone, but a lot of them, especially in, in, in certain water with more boulder structure, when a guy's fishing a piece of water, you know, I'm pretty sure I know where that fish is going to be coming from. You know what I mean? And I try and I try and lay it out for those guys to play it out. But, um, but yeah, I would just, I, you know, some of those, some of those times, I think it's mainly when the water gets low is when I start fishing a lot deeper because those fish get into some deeper stuff. Okay. And then, uh, and it's a lot of places where, I mean, the gear guys get to extremely easy. I mean, they can just park on it and fish 12 feet. And, pff, but easy. when the water's low, those <laughs> fish have to stack and they got to be in certain places. Yeah. You know, yeah, and they get and spookier and stuff like that. that's the nice thing about the high water is that, and so when you're fishing, so you obviously you're not fishing when it's Brown, but as soon as that color starts to clear, you're, you're fishing the next morning. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, uh, like, um, you know, we've caught them in six inches of viz out here, a, a foot foot's fine. Two feet's really nice. Um, like for example, the, a lot of the gear guys out here will like, I mean, they want a solid four feet of, uh, of visibility. Okay. And four feet, four feet is great. There, everybody's got the, the steelhead color they really like. Um, and I just want, I, what I want is I want to look at the water and just barely see the, 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 the boulders, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's when I'm, I'm feeling super confident because I know that those fish can be sucked in really tight 
right next to all those, all that stuff. My guys can just pound through water and not, and not beat themselves up by trying to cast, you know, a country mile. Right. But yeah, give me, give me two or three feet. I'm, I'm super happy. Two's great. Yep. How do you, what, what fly are you putting on there? What, what's, or how big maybe, t- and I know you've got some of your own flies, right? You, you have, that you use. Yeah, no, I just, I, you know, I, I keep it, I keep it really basic. And then of course, uh, a lot of my clients bring their own stuff too, but, yeah. um, I fish what's just called a guide fly. It's just, it's, it's nothing special. It's just a, a single station and mm-hmm. then, uh, with some hackles and then some flash on it in, in different colors. And then I put some weight on some, and then I, I put a lot of weight on others and then, uh, a lot of them I keep unweighted, but like what I like to do out here, um, I'm a big fan of controlling the fly with the sink tip, meaning I'll fish mostly unweighted flies out here. Um, yeah. and then I'll put my tip on accordingly right. um, that way, because said everybody, like if you snag up on the, in the traveling lane, it's it's over. Okay. And then, and the things that, that will really also chap a guide's ass <laughs> is when you've, you spent time tying these flies and you got a guy who, uh, who, you know, he'll swing through and then he'll, he'll go look up at the clouds on uh, the hang down, the fly will get stuck or he'll step down yep. or, and then he'll get snagged up. And instead of trying to get the fly off or let me do it, he'll just snap it off uh, and ask for a new one. Damn. Right. And so, and so after a guy's done this a couple of times, you start not wanting to give that guy your nice flies. Well, and also <laughs> so, man, snap it off a tw- on 20 pound. That's not easy to do. It's no, it's not easy to do. And most of the time they straighten out the hook yeah. uh, on that. And then I just have to change that. But, but I want to be, I want to have a really nice fluid swing. Okay. And I don't want to be, I don't always want to be grabbing, uh, you know, on the inside either. And then there's, yeah. you know, there's ways you can speed your fly up too to keep it kind of off the bottom, um, without putting some, putting slack into gotcha. it. So is that kind of like uh, mostly like leading the fly with your rod tip? Well, it's, it's, it's leading the fly and then drop into the, the surface of the water and then go and then moving your rod tip a foot back out. So what you've done is you've just created a sail or a bow. Okay. So for example, if you cast out there, you, let's say you throw a mint, okay, you sink it in there. It starts swinging really nice, starts swinging really nice, really nice, really nice. I'll, I'll downstream mend into shore and then I'll drop my rod tip all the way to the water. And then I'll move the rod tip one foot back out to the middle. And what that does is it, it'll just, it'll speed that fly right in. Um, especially like, for example, there's places where right at the bottom, it's actually, pretty deep on the hang down okay but but there's not a lot of flow and i'll do that that same thing and sometimes i'll bring it in and sometimes i'll mend it back out and then just let it kind of kind of um go back and forth below me if i think there's a fish down there or if something's rolling yep yep that's that's a cool tip because yeah when you get in close you're not going to have the the flow and you can't lead you can't lead it with your tip so that's a cool no, <laughs> that's a cool tip no, you can't do it <laughs> No, and so and that's why. So I'm really a fan of the unweighted stuff, but there's there's always a place for weighted flies. And then also, um, you got to think of, you know, you got to think of your clients too. Okay, I have a lot of clients that don't just straight up don't like casting weighted flies. Okay, it's it feels clunky to them. It doesn't roll out as nice yep. uh, as they want it to be. And you want these, you want your clients to enjoy it while still letting them, you know, do their thing. 
right? And you mm-hmm. still want them to have success. If they're if they're definitely not going to have success, I'm going to go, hey, like I'm just going to say, George, George, I know you don't like doing this, but I feel like we're going to be in the game if we if we do this, okay? And if they're if they're smart, they're going to listen to their fishing guy. Yep. Um, and then, uh, but you know, other guys, like I said, they uh, you know they they've been trying really hard to to be a better caster and be a better fisherman. And, and I, I had this one guy, he, uh, he was not good at all. He was really horrible, uh, fishing and he's been, and he's been spay fishing for like eight, seven, eight years. And I've tried to help him numerous times. And, and finally he looks over at me and he goes, uh, you know, Trevor, I, uh, I suck at golf too, <laughs> but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I don't like to play, you know, that it <laughs> oh, opened yeah. my eyes to, to a lot of things. It's like, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you, you, you don't have to be, you got, you just have to enjoy what you're doing. Exactly. You know, it really is like, I suck at golf, but every now and then I, I put a really good shot in exactly. and then I drink some beers. So yep. it's pretty, pretty good. Uh, I love, I love that take because, um, you know, like I was saying, I've had Bruce Cruck and some of these guys on who are outstanding cat. You know, they're they're casting a country mile. I mean, some of these guys, you know, like Travis Johnson, right? He's got the two hundred, you know, two hundred foot or whatever it is, yeah. right? You know, this record. But, yeah, Travis is an animal. Yeah, Travis is crazy. And uh, but the point is, is that sure, if you want to go for that and you're enjoying it, then go for it. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're good, just out there fishing and you're having fun, then then do that. You know, and one thing I like about Travis is not, not only is he he's not only just a uh, I mean, I mean, he, he was a wrestler, right? So he's, he's, he's built like a wrestler. He's super strong uh, and he can put a long line out there. But at the end of the day, I, he, he's, he's a fisherman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and so he's a guy like, if you're, if you're fishing the, the Sandy and and Oregon or you're fishing on the shoots, he's a good guy to, I mean, he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. He's been doing it. Yeah, definitely. So, so anything else? I mean, we're going to start to wrap this up here a little bit, I guess. Um, maybe we can just start off with the 222, which is top two flies, tips, and resources that I like to dig into before we get out of here. And you've mentioned a couple of uh, fly. Well, you've mentioned your, your flight. Is there another fly if somebody just wanted to check out a fly that they could find online that, that might be good? Are you, do you pretty much oh, just the, st- stick with the, your, the, your fly? The, well, I, well I, I, stick with, I stick with my stuff generally. But uh, if there was one other person, and I've already mentioned it, it would be anything – that Jerry French ties yeah. for, for steel heading mainly for example, uh, the dirty hoe flies, That's right. um, which is, you know, a fly he just developed out here on the hoe, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a leech, you know, with a hot head on it, but it's got, uh, it's got maximum movement, good hook placement, um, slight cone on it. And then, uh, and then a really nice shoulder. Uh, yeah. and so it has a lot of, it has a wiggle factor and like, uh, I was, um, and, and that guy's had a, a, an epic amount of success. And I use that fly like he, he, uh, you know, he sells those through aqua flies. Right. And sure. so, um, and that's a fly that you can, that you can use for steelhead and Chinook, wh- whatever, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. still, it's still got the same appeal depending on what, what anadromous fish you're, you're going after. Um, what, I mean, here's a here's an example like i remember one time uh we were fishing the skagit and he had fished this piece of water through and he was remember he was reeling up and that and reeling up flies got a lot of wiggle and i'm uh i'm across the river from him and 
his his uh his rod just jams down he goes and he, he goes dude did you see that <laughs> and i and we all looked over and thing came right back again and just nailed him it was probably like a 14 uh pound buck you know just super bright on the lower skagit and uh huh. um but no all his flies are tried and true they're yeah. really strong and then he's he's she said he's put more time in the water than most people yeah yeah no he's he's got all uh, just make another note yeah jerry well i've had some i've been trying to tell a little bit of the story you, you know all these guys i'm sure but um you know, George Cook told a little bit of the story and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we're all built on the top of the people that came before us. Right. So you've got yes. uh, Harry Lemur and all the, yeah. you know, that crew. the godfathers of spay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the godfathers well, and, of spay. And, and depending on where, where you are in the, in the course of, of this history, like for example, there were the guys that, that, uh, Edward and Jerry would, would, I guess not look up to, but that came before them, you know, yeah. like I, uh, George Cook, was the first guy to ever put a spay rod in my hand. Wow. You know, I've known, I've known George since I was a, a little kid. Um, I just, I went fishing with him last spring, uh, out at Isaac's ranch, which is a really cool place in Eastern Washington, uh, where he does some guiding, That's right. but George, I love George. Yep. You know. Yeah, George. George's name. He he seems to be one of the guys. I guess he's a. I mean, obviously in the kind of that that other older generation out there. Who who else is out there other than George? Who's at that similar? I'm trying to think because it seems like George's name just keeps coming up when you talk about steelhead. Well, because jo- well, the the thing about George, what you know, and so you know, George is a rep, but George is the guy that made that I that I believe got spay fishing to really explode out here. I mean, as far as people buying rods, yeah. I mean, George has been a salesman for a long time. He's, I mean, he can kill anything that moves yep. and, uh, <laughs> and, and he's a good fisherman and he's, uh, 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 king of the one liners. I mean, if you've ever spent in, around any time with George, you will, uh, your mind will be exhausted after, uh, because he's always, he's always, uh, pitching <laughs> something or telling a joke, but yeah. he's, uh, George is great. And like I said, I, uh, I would uh, I wouldn't have touched a spay rod as soon as I did and until you know I met George because George he used to come up to the connect talk oh, and yeah. he would do we used to have these um, uh, like they were, we were calling them spay gurus they'd come up and help our clients spay cast and like another one of those guys was Charles St. Pierre yep. you've ever heard of that guy mm-hmm. Charles they, they call him the doctor you know I mean he's uh he can he can line out your spay cast and, and really fix all the problems and that's what a good like a really good spay uh, spay instructor is gonna is gonna smooth you out and George George can smooth you out and he can and he can sell your rod yeah that's right he's got <laughs> so, you covered so if you're uh, yeah if you're struggling with your spay cast George might be a good guy to look up yeah George is a good guy but and 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 I would I mean George and Charles yeah I think are, are some of the best guys out there that's cool. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, let's keep on that 222. So top two, uh, uh, so you mentioned a bunch of tests, but let's just think again, we're fishing that high water. The river is kind of coming down. Any other couple of tips that come to mind that could help somebody find a fish? Well, I'll tell you that I'll, I'll, my, my two best tips are the five and five T11 and a two and a half floating seven and a half sinking T14. Okay. Those are those are the two best tips that I use, and then I, of course, fluctuate between weighted and unweighted, and that should give you kind of a a a picture of of the water I'm looking for. And, and describe know, describe um, the describe the describe the five and five uh, quickly, and then the other one. What, what is so, that exactly? So I so I really like Mo tips. 
okay, because there, it's something I've been using for a really long time. So, um, so a five and five, so you're going to have, it's a, a lot of those mo tips are going to be 10 feet long, which was the point of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the 10 feet long is going to make sure that your casting stroke does not have to change with having a longer line or a shorter line. So it stays the same, but you have different sync rates. So a five and five T11 is going to be five feet of floating and five feet of sinking mm-hmm. to equal 10 feet. Plus of course your leader and your fly. Okay. And they're also, they're all color coordinated. So it's pretty easy uh, to decipher Cause the thing is when people, think about lines or talk about stink tips it's something that's really confusing to a lot of people um and mm-hmm. i've found that it doesn't get any easier than that system just because it's color-coded like pff, it's <laughs> been around a long time if you can't figure out that system um it's going to be tough going forward uh yeah. so but 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 and then of course you got the intermediates okay and the intermediates are nice but i still i'm i'm a huge fan of the floater or the, the floating the floating sections versus the the intermediate tips, yeah. which are gonna are gonna swing through slower and dig a little deeper. Yep, gotcha. And and, and but, so you had the the five and five, and then what was the second one? It was a two and a half. So it's a two and a half foot floating section, and then a seven and a half foot oh, right. sinking section. T fourteen. T fourteen. Mm-hmm. And then like most of the water out here, you can fish with that tip, whether it's deep or shallow, um, depending on what fly you put on as far as weight factor unweighted and then how you set your cast up where you how how many times you mend where you put tension on your fly you know until you put tension on it's pretty much going to it's going to drop and then it's also it also could be lifeless also mm-hmm. until you engage your swing so but those are those are my my two yeah favorite tips out here um of course the the conditions changed to where i'll use some really some much heavier stuff and then Rarely do I have to go lighter than that, but every now and then there's, there's always a spot that comes out of nowhere where it's like, I need the lightest thing possible. Uh, cause I've rode over it five times and five times there's been a steelhead there. And then the sixth time I've decided to, I've decided to fish it. You know what I mean? Yep. It usually doesn't take five times, but if I roll over a place twice and there's a steelhead there, uh, chances are the next time I'm down there, I'm going to be pulling in. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, cool. So, and on those tips, just, just briefly, uh, you know, we do talk about occasionally about just actual, you know, fly fishing tip and sort of thing. Anything else you want to throw out there as far as like, you know, uh, somebody's on the water and not necessarily the, you know, the tip that, that was, those are amazing tips and tips, but, uh, anything else you throw out there to help them get into a fish? Oh, get into a fish. Oh, as far as tips. Um, I would say probably fish a little deeper into a tail out than you're, than okay. you're used to. And how do you do that? This is, this is really simple. When you, when you want to, when you want to, uh, when you want to reel up and head back the boat, keep going at least okay. 10 more. Perfect. And that, 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 that's the problem is that, uh, um, is that most guys, like, especially after a really long piece of water, like that, if the water's too, too long, they, they'll get bored. Okay. So they'll start, they'll start, uh, being complacent and they'll want to reel up. They'll, they'll, they'll strip yeah. into cast halfway through the swing. Um, and then the one thing, like, for example, a lot of times, like the bo- boats will go by that are nymphing or, or gear fishing, and then they pull up at a certain point because they'll start getting really shallow and they're going to have to either go down a rapid. All right. Well, the first place those fish are stopping or is right at the top of that rapid. So awesome. I would fish pretty deep into the tail outs. That's, that's, awesome. uh, that's a, that's a, a, a really 
good piece of advice that I would tell people that, that want to be successful. That's good advice. So Especially winter steelheading. For winter steelheading. Yeah. So when you feel like you want to get out, just basically do, did you say 10 more uh, casts or 10 more steps? Do, well, do, well, both. Yeah, both. Both. Yeah. Don't just stay in the same place, but no, go, go, go into it. Go swing your fly into where the water really starts moving into the top of the rapid. Oh yeah. You know, there, cause what you'll notice in a lot of places out here is there's really big boulders, um, kind of at where the, kind of the, the next wrap will, the rapid will start. Okay. And those fish will, they'll hang right there. How, how I know this is that I float over and I'm, I see him like mm-hmm. I generally fish a spot and then I go float and I stand up and I look and, uh, and a lot of the spots I find out here are places I, I just see, you see fish hmm. and, uh, and that's where, you know, they're going to sit. So, cool. and then you, and then you try and figure out how you're going to fish it. And a lot of those places are their gear spots. There's no waiting. So you can anchor up and then swing out of the boat. I do that, uh, a little bit out here in certain water conditions. Oh, cool. Uh, so, yep. but yeah. Cool. And, uh, and any, uh, do you want to throw one more tip out there for winter steelhead? Uh, diamond get, chop. What, what is it? Diamond chop. Diamond chop. Find the chop. Oh, find the chop. Yep. Find the chop. Find, it was like, uh, there was a place, uh, on a river out here that I used to call the chop shop. And it was, uh, and it was, a uh, a really cool piece of water. It was really shallow, but the, the diamonds and the chop, man, they were just, they were really aggressive. And, uh, I mean, and, and fish were coming out of, you know, two feet of water. So if mm. there's chop on top, it's like, think of it as a screen, as a, as as cover and then and generally it's a place where those fish have to stop so fish deep in the tail outs find the chop that's it that's the two the two those are pieces i would tell those are killer those are great tips for sure and and on resources anything you want to recommend is you know i don't know books magazines websites anything that would help somebody if they're thinking about the op and fishing for winter steelhead there's the have you uh you followed john mcmillan oh yeah john's awesome yeah. Yeah. John's great. You know, um, you know, he knows a lot about kind of this area, but you know, I think his stuff is mainly focused on, uh, on the environmental side of, of things. I mean, he's a hell of a steelheader. Yeah. Well, the, the um, cool thing about John is, and I'll, and I'll put a link to the show notes is that John, uh, started an, a podcast as well. Yeah. And, uh, it's called, uh, well, it's part of the OP. It's part it's, of the, the, the barbless guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he exactly. talks, the cool thing about him is I didn't realize that, that he fished, he's kind of both gear and, and, uh, fly, which oh, is, yeah. which is cool. It's kind of like the more people I talk to on this, the more people I realize those that, that kind of go both ways are usually the people that are like innovating and stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is like, uh, you know, when I first started steelhead and I was fishing sand shrimp and, and eggs and pulling plugs and, uh, and it wasn't until, and, and I would fly fish a lot, but it was always trout. Uh, and then, uh, and said it was, it was, it was, it was George Cook that actually got me thinking about swing, swinging a fly and, uh, and baits really, I mean, bait or gear is really productive. Okay. You know where those fish are going to be sitting. Like a lot of times you can swing a fly in a place and you're probably not going to be down far enough and your fly is not going to be in where it's supposed to be for long enough for them to react to it. Right. Those gear guys. They can, they can change depths really easy and, and they catch fish. Yeah. I mean, you can't, com- you cannot compare the numbers when, when people, te- when people tell me out here that the fishing's horrible. Okay. 
and there's no fish around. Right. Um, all you got to do, I'll go talk to a couple of my buddies that are ringers out here with gear fishing and they're going to give me a number. If it's a certain number, I, I know that they're telling the truth, but if it's not like chances are, you're just, you just don't know where they're at or you're not, you're just not being effective. Yeah. Um, the gear guys get them. They do. They do. Uh, before oh, yeah. we get, before we get out here, did you want to throw one more? I, I know John McMill, I'll put a link to his uh, Instagram as well. Anything else that you want to just note to help somebody maybe if they're, <sighs> I don't know. I don't know too many books on this yeah. place. Yeah, like, there's I not, never, there's, I don't think there's, there's much in books. There's in no. And then, and, and, uh, and I, and I, you know, I always saw the, the books growing up and it was like, you know, it was the book that said, you know, the whole river and it'd tell you like put ins and takeouts, but right. I, I, I didn't really read them. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like I, uh, I started, yeah, I was just exploring. I mean, I didn't even know what a, I didn't even know where the, uh, the numbers for shuttles around here when I started, I had a nine foot pontoon boat and, uh, a bike or I'd use my thumb, Yeah, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and I'd hitchhike back to my, back to my rig after a day of steelheading. And then I finally figured out their shuttles. There's, there's tons of good, like camping is pretty decent up there too. Camping's awesome. Uh, like, uh, the summer right now is packed. Like the, 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 the busiest time of year here is in March. And then in the middle of the summer, uh, for example, I run an Airbnb on my house when I'm up in Alaska and, and it's full all summer long, you know, so it pays, it pays the mortgage. Yeah. You can't, you have to reserve camping out here, um, you know, in the summertime, but the winter it's, it's a lot easier, especially if you come when it's, when it's raining, a lot of people will look at the forecast and if there's too much rain, they'll just stay home. So if you're willing to, to, to slug it out, and uh and be damp for a few days uh you, you there's some great places to camp and then some uh and uh and some fish to catch cool. so is, is there a is there a local fly shop i mean what is your local fly shop is there anything oh well out here out here it's going to be waters west and a guy uh named ed runs it he took it over from uh a fellow named dave steinbaugh who was the original uh owner of that shop mm-hmm. uh epic uh, it's got the the greatest uh, assortment of fly tying materials. If you are a, uh, especially a steelhead fisherman, um, that I've, that I've ever seen. So, um, they do, they do a good amount of online business too, but yeah, it would be, it'd be waters West, you know, back in Issaquah where I grew up, it'd be Creekside angling company. Cool. But, uh, but waters West has got, dude, they got sewing materials. I mean, they really got, they have everything. And I generally send my clients there when they're, uh, you know, when they come out here, like for example, they've never been out here before. I go, you know, take your time driving out here. Make sure you stop in at Waters West and take a look around. It's like Toys R Us to a fly tire <laughs> or to a to a kid. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, bring awesome. uh, give yourself a limit of how much you're going to spend too. Like I said, because you could go overboard in there with the with the materials. I mean, it really is. It really is top notch. So. Cool. Right on, Trevor. So, uh, in the next uh, six to twelve months, what what anything new you got coming? I know that the co or the COVID thing is really threw a wrench in, but anything else? <laughs> I guess we don't really know, right? Uh, we don't you know, really know uh, what's going to go on. No, well, no, nobody knows. But all I know is that uh, there people are going to be out fishing. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm spending this time fishing a little bit, and then working on house projects. But, but pretty soon we're going to have uh, uh, coho showing up and then fall Chinook and then, you know, still summer steelhead and then some cutthroat out here. So I'll be mm-hmm. doing some of that stuff out here. 
Um, and then just, uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to putting 2020 in the, in the rear view mirror to be totally honest with you. Um, there's been, there's been cool things that have happened. Uh, but it's, uh, um, I don't think America, I don't think anybody low in the world or Americans like to be out of their, their comfort zone of what they, you know, what they should be doing. You know what I mean? Like I feel, I feel bad for, you know, I feel bad for so many people, you know, I mean, I've got my, my jobs cut, but there are people who haven't been able to see their, their families that are, you know, uh, or their their parents that are dying or or going to funerals or weddings or anything. So it's, it can always be worse. So, um, I'm looking yep. forward to 2021. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Amen to that for sure. Uh, so if they want to find you, uh, Trevor underscore Kovic on Instagram is the best place. Yeah, that's the best place. Or you can find me. Uh, you can write an email at opflyguy at gmail.com. Oh, perfect. All right. Yeah, I'll put a link to that, all that in the show notes. And uh, cool, Trevor. Hey, thanks for coming on. Just wanted to let you know, appreciate you spend the time here. I, I, we didn't know exactly where we were going to go. And I, I think, you know, Alaska obviously is a big part of your, your thing. But it seems like whenever I do, when I talk about Alaska versus Steelhead, it seems like more people are interested in hearing about Steelhead, even though I've talked about it like hundreds of times. You know what I mean? Dude, Steelhead's a, it said it's, it's a weird thing. Um, if I had never done it, I would not have, I mean, I've, I wouldn't have bought a house next to one of my favorite stretches of, of water. You know, I wouldn't be traveling. I'd probably have a, I'd have probably have a, a pretty decent job with, uh, you know, a couple kids by now. That's I don't right. know. What would you be? Know. Yeah. So, so just, <laughs> just, just to give you a minute here, if, if you weren't the, the, the OP Alaska, what, what would you be doing if you weren't doing that? Dude. You know, I don't know. I'd probably be doing some kind of trade. Uh, you know what I, you know what I always wanted to do is I, I always wanted to be a, a, a chopper pilot. I, I would, I would really like to fly a helicopter, but it's, uh, it's, it's because you can still do the same stuff. You're still taking people heli skiing and, uh, and, uh, and dropping them into the, the upper skina or something like that, or, or doing stuff around Hawaii. So it's, it's good money you get to meet a lot of different people and be in some really interesting places. And so I think that's kind of what, what drives me. It's not, I never wanted to be in a warehouse for the rest of my life. Like my, my parents tried to get me to work for Boeing, right? Cause my grandpas, my parents, uncles, you know, a lot of them, they all work for Boeing. My brother works for Boeing and I just didn't, I, I don't want, I don't want to do that. It's, uh, um, it's not, it's just not for me. It's for somebody, just not for me. I don't like traffic. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, you're up in. Uh, I mean, yeah, that whole Seattle thing is is uh, is crazy. So it's it's crazy, man. I drive right through it. You know, every now and then I have to stop for some construction out here or herd of elk. You know. Yep. And that that's 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 it. That's it. I know. I, I was coming into our. Uh, I'm up on the north coast in Oregon and. Man, we, there's a traffic jam that was like miles long, and eventually when we got to the top, we were like, "Oh my God!" There was a dozen of these beautiful Roosevelt elk just right off the side of the road, and and you know it had backed up traffic for miles, but it was worth it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. No, it's uh, and in Portland, the the Portland traffic uh, I find just as excruciating as as the Seattle traffic. That's why I don't do it much, or I pick uh, the great thing about being a, a fishing guide and. Like especially being a fishing guide, when when you've got some days off, is you can choose your times when you get to drive. You know, you're not, you know, you're not chained to being having to leave at this time with everybody else. So you can kind of pick your windows. But the 
I've been caught in so much evening traffic down there because I used to go fish with the that guy I was telling you, Nick Rowell, he, uh, he guides Clackamas and then the, the Nehalem, Trask, all those rivers. And I'd have to, I'd have to get to his house and it was usually coming in the evening and I was just like, good God. Ugh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> cool, Trevor. Hey, uh, cool, thanks, man. thanks again. Well, uh, I'll let you know uh, when this gets ready to go and uh, yeah, we'll check back with you then. Right on. All right. Yeah, thanks you, a lot. Uh, you take it easy. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 154. Have you ever thought about starting up your own podcast? I'm uh, helping people get started uh, at outdoorsonline.co slash SAP. That's outdoors with an S slash SAP. Start a podcast. You can find uh, how to start, find out how to start a podcast there with a super quick and easy checklist that walks you through all the steps of getting started. Um, and you know, this isn't just for fishing. If you have any passion, um, that you love on the side, that could be knitting, uh, dog walking, um, you name it. There's, there's probably an audience out there that you could, uh, help serve. So it'd be great to uh, see a new podcast. I love listening to them. If you have a podcast right now, reach out to me, uh, Dave at wetflyswing.com and let me know. I'd love to listen to a new show this week. Um, So that's all I got for you. I really appreciate you for stopping by today and look forward to catching up with you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.